Wait, are you... <laughs> are you gonna count me in? Whatever. I'm just gonna go for it. Welcome to the Queen's Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Singleton. And as a child of the 80s, I'd love to say Queen's rule. But they don't. Queen's lead. Being a queen means you are worthy to be a leader of people. The guests on our show do exactly that. They are leading the way in their businesses, families, and communities. And they're taking their rightful place in the spotlight, leading and inspiring the developing queens in all of us. Welcome to the Queen's Lead Podcast. Now here's your host, Amy Singleton, the queen of realness, leading conversations about business, life, and the real shit you want to know. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Queen's Lead Podcast. Today, we are very, very blessed to have Tressa Yonakawa with us from all over the place, actually. But where in the world are you right now? In Santa Monica, California. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. I am so lit up to be here with you. This is really exciting. We got connected through Steve Sims online, who is friends with Kasim, who is a member of my mastermind group, who is just like, I love this worldwide actual web of interconnectedness in networking that we kind of have in our, in our unique little space of personal development and, um, and growth for our businesses. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your business. Thank you. Basically, for over 25 years, I have cultivated, uh, done the education, done all of the things to, to do one thing and one thing only, and that's fixed relationships. So that mm. translates into culture for corporations, um, into work with couples and into work with families. And I'm not a therapist, but I understand relationship and communication. Wow. Okay. Well, where did it all start? What made you know that you were born to fix relationships? You know, it might sound a little bit hokey or woo, but I was raised, I was born in California in Silicon Valley. My mom worked at Stanford um, and I was born at Stanford. Um, when I was young, we moved to Montana out into the back, 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 back woods. Wow. That's a change. It's a, it was Holy a big cow. change. Yeah. And my home was fairly chaotic and also amazing. And I spent a lot of time outside. And so the, the communication with nature is actually where it started and mm. just having um, the safety, honestly, of being in nature and having those conversations. And, and as I got older and like became a yoga teacher and, you know, all of the different things, the phases that we go through, what, what stuck with me was that the very first teachers were nature. Mm. You know, we learned music and sound and we named nature. So I think, you know, that, that was, that was where it began. And then it just continued and it was always in my path. So um, I guess when I really started listening and went to college and got my degrees in the neuroscience of communication, and then started working uh, in communication and relationship that just things all along my path have been markers, indicators that this was a place for me to, to really serve. Wow. So tell us what it was like growing up in Montana or how yeah. old were you when you moved there? Uh, I think about close to seven, probably. Okay. Um, yeah. So young enough to be influenced. Uh, it was, it was wild, you know, and it was at a time when um, 
you know, my mom was always working and there was, you know, enough going on that you could just like take a Snickers bar, throw it in your little backpack and go hop on the railroad tracks and, you know, walk all day. And so that's, that's what we did. And, um, we had a horse and we, you know, all of the things. And I think it was just, um, literally being raised kind of feral and developing, you know, my, (laughs) my own ideas about how life worked and then being confused um, that other people didn't see the world the same way. And I think so many of us probably have that experience where it's like, right. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Talk about that a little bit, because like, I know I am stuck. I don't want to say I'm stuck. I love where I live. I'm in Oklahoma city in the Bible belt of America with some very traditional conservative beliefs and, and things that constructs that have been built by what we've what we've been exposed to right here in our own little pocket of the world. So talk a little bit about that. How, how have you navigated feeling different or or seeming different and having different views than others around you? I wish I could tell you that, you know, I rose above and like, I totally did better. (laughs) Um, But I mean, alcohol, tuning out, you know, acting out, like I, like I did all the things that pushed against gravity. And, um, after Montana, we lived, we lived in the Midwest in South Dakota, and then I did grad school in Nebraska. So, oh, wow. Very similar, right? Your upbringing and, um, beauty of that Bible belt Midwest U S is that you, you get ground. And I feel like it's, for me, it was too much ground and not enough like vision and and flight. And I think that other people can do it there. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much visionary, amazing things, you know, that comes out of those spaces. It wasn't the place I was in. It was the the mindset. Mm-hmm. What yeah. had been exposed to up to that point. So how do you deal with being confined or feeling like you're being, your wings are being pinned down. You just have to, you have to fight gravity and find your way. And hopefully we can do it faster than I did. May everybody do it faster than I did um, and get there much earlier. But I always knew that I was supposed to be doing something that was beyond what I could see. Mm. the models that I had. Um, and I had a drowning death experience when I was four at Santa Cruz and, um, was watching my body be revived down the beach and, and heard you have work to do. And at four, what does that mean? But it stayed Mm. every day of my life. And that work I've figured out over decades is to be in service to fully living. Wow. That aspect of connection, communication, fully living is, is where I get to play. And I feel very, very fortunate. What an incredible experience to go back to over and over in your mind and and remind yourself, I've got work to do. That's amazing. Well, it went sideways, you know, it went sideways because I thought, oh, I should have three jobs or I should, you know, like pour everything I am into work to the point where when I started to pick my head up, I had no idea what I liked to do for fun. Mm. Yeah. So that that whole thing, you know, like how many lifetimes do we live in this lifetime? Hopefully so many. So many. So many. I think that's something that we we and maybe it's not unique to the Midwest, but it feels like it because it's all I really know from a living experience, not just traveling somewhere and testing, but I think a lot of us get 
committed to what we've committed to, like that college degree or that job or what mom and dad thought we were going to be or what others around us thought we were going to be. And having the the uh, permission from ourselves to to actually turn around and go a completely different direction is really hard for some people to choose. I mean, yeah. like truly, it's difficult I mean, to try and choose a different life. Absolutely. I mean, let's all give ourselves that permission right now to Mm -hmm. live our fullest lives, to be exactly who we are here to be and to be in service in the ways that we're here to be in service. Even if that means disrupting patterns that are very comfortable to us, or especially if it means disrupting those patterns that are very comfortable because fully living, right? Fully living means being out here. And it doesn't mean you have to be on stages, but it does mean that you have to fully show up most days Mm-hmm. For, for what you're here for. And I, you know, I don't really like talking about purpose as much as the reality of, of how you want to live and how, you know, you, you can be living. And I think the fear of being seen is, is a big one that, you know, Brene Brown and Elizabeth Gilbert and all kinds of people have talked about so eloquently that our biggest fear is to be more than enough to be too much. And I really, I feel like I've worked with thousands of people now, you know, over the past 25 years and we're all too much. Yeah. In reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was definitely told that a lot growing up. You are too much. You're too loud. Sit down, shut up. I got this for my family, you know, tone it down, tone it down, tone it down, tone it down. And be good, right? And be good. And so yeah. we have this like assimilation of good with quiet, not seen, subservient, like all of these things, I think, especially as women. And and when you break through that mold, people get very uncomfortable. And and you spoke before this podcast about the discomfort of other people around you. They don't quite know what to do with you. <laughs> and how has that, how has that formed who you are? Yeah, me? Uh, Oh, I mean, completely. I didn't step into who I was until maybe the past five years, truly, you know, in my late 30s before it was at an event when someone came to me and I went up to her because I was fangirling completely like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to meet you. You know, and like, I know I'm too. And I said out of my mouth, I know I'm too much, but I'm so excited to meet you. And this tiny little riot grabs me by my shoulders, looks up at me and says, I know you've been told you're too much your whole life, huh? She said, don't you ever say that again. They aren't enough for you. And I just, it it was that moment. Like I, I heard it from my spouse and closer friends and things over the years, but it was that moment in time when it just clicked, like, oh my gosh, you're so right. It took a third party seeing it in me uh, before I could step into my own and be like, you know what? She's right. There's billions of people on this planet. And if only 0.1% of them like me, that's more people than I could ever be friends with, work with, talk to anyway. So that's okay. You know, but like you said, I think we grow up um, feeling the need to please everybody and to, to be good and to be right and to stay um, in our lane, so to speak. And And I was not born to drive on a road. I was born to fly. And we all really were, you know, but, but it takes someone else seeing it. It did for me. took someone else seeing that. Um, This is your podcast though. Don't ask me the questions. (laughs) Look at what you did there. (laughs) It's so big though. You know what you just shared? Like, I want to cry. I don't know how many of your listeners also want to cry and also identify with that, that, 
you know, this moment that that you're offering that we can offer right now of of all your listeners being seen. Mm-hmm. Huge. Because how would that have changed your life to have heard that when you were five, four, five, six, seven? <clears throat> you know, yeah. rather than 30 something. And yeah. that, that part, you know, is I think what creates greatness, what creates the ability to express and expand our greatness, our love, our compassion, all of those things. Because when we see ourselves and insist on being seen, when we don't wait for somebody to see us, mm-hmm. what an opportunity to continue that growth. And to to select for the people who can see us, who can accept us, who, you know, I think when people are threatened or jealous, it comes from that person's fear and maybe sadness that they see what they could be and they have not chosen to get off their butts and do it. And and it's terrifying, you know, so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable still sometimes daily. And maybe you can relate to that. Oh yeah. All the time. People constantly say, oh, you're so fearless. And I'm like, I don't know who you think you're talking to, but I am freaking terrified all the time. And I will say that all the time. Like I'm terrified all the time, but I just have to keep taking the next step in that next action because I've seen it work in my life. I seen leaning into that discomfort work in my life over and over and over again now that, and, and not only that, I love that like you coach leaders, you coach leadership. And I think we cannot be a leader to others until we can lead ourselves. And that's really, maybe, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. I think that's the very first step is before you can lead somebody, you got to know where the hell you're going. (laughs) Like, where are you going and who are you going to lead? And in what way and to what end are you leading them? Like, where are you going? Yeah. In your life. Spot on. Yes. And in, in all these, like all these, all these decades, it's like what the center, the centrifugal point is, is self-awareness and self-work. And I have a a book coming out soon, uh, Listen Leader with uh, Carson Jones and Jones Agency. Phenomenal. And um, it's about how to be the leader we want to follow. And how do you do that? It's by understanding yourself in connection with other people. The the old way, the way that I was taught to lead when, when I was four years old, people would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say the boss, because that's, <laughs> that's the only model I'd ever seen, right? From my mom. Yeah. So I want to be in charge. Right. That's right. What? I don't know. Front of the line every single time. I don't know where I was going, but by God, I was going first and I was going to be in charge of that shit. <laughs> Exactly. And, and, uh, and I did it poorly when I started, you know, I started my first company when I was in my early twenties and, um, I was the boss for sure on the model that I had been led by bossed by, you know, that I had seen (laughs) in the world. And it was a terrible model of control and a lack of self-awareness and um, just having done it poorly and having my team come to me and say, listen, we believe in your vision, but you're a jerk. Wow. Right? We don't want to work. Yeah. With you. And if you don't get your like self straightened out, if you don't figure it out, we're out of here. And these were like, I had hired what I considered the best of the best, you know? And so I had to do like, there was a lot of like deep, dark soul searching there for, what is a leader? What is leadership? And then I started asking and I started, you know, I was consulting at the time in, in different things within my field. And 
um, just watching leaders and watching how it can be done really well, but so rarely. So, and what did those leaders have um, through time? It was this self-awareness and this calm, Mm -hmm. like there was no drama. It was calm and it was fluid and it was integrated. It was, you know, inclusive, like before we started talking about inclusion and, and that was the boss that I wanted to be. And that that's a true leader, but it takes practice every day. Yeah. Yeah. So you said you started your first company in your twenties. Did you have, you said your mom worked at Stanford. Did you have an example of an entrepreneur in your life that made, you know, you wanted to have your own business or what was it that, that spurred you in your early twenties to be a business owner, to start your own thing? You know, I don't remember a specific entrepreneur. I know that that my mom left Stanford to work in this little town in Montana because it was interesting to her. So mm. that was my only correlate. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like my whole impetus for starting my own company was that I wanted to do it right. And mm-hmm. after my degrees and was working for major companies, um, I was asked to do things that I felt were unethical. And um, and my ethics, right or wrong, are are pretty staunch. So we're either Thanks. doing, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. things in the highest good and doing the right thing, or we're not. And right. I'm very, fortunately or unfortunately, very black and white in that. <laughs> Um, so I started my company to do things right. And I hired people who, who would also do things right, but I didn't lead them. I didn't show up. I was out working literally 20 hours a day. I would leave my house at four in the morning. I would get back like at 10, 30, 11 at night. And I didn't have contact with the people who were working out of my office, out of my company, driving my cars, doing all of those things. And, um, so they had a story because they had no contact with me. They had a story that I was at my mansion laying by my pool, yeah. um, which couldn't have been further from none of that was true. There was no mansion. There was no pool, like not even close, you know, I mean, yeah. we had running water in the farmhouse that we lived in. So like, you know, those understanding from that, that fracture that was created by me working my tail off, thinking I was doing the best thing for the people working for me and with me. Um, and, and from that, like fracturing understanding that that's, that's not leadership. That's just working too hard. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a realization to have. And I think as leaders sometimes, or as anybody, just as a human, it's so difficult to ask for and receive that kind of feedback from those that we're closest to those that we are leading. But I know that some of the biggest changes I've made in my own personal communication style, um, hiring, a, you know, placement of butts in the right seats has come from asking those really freaking hard questions that shine a big old light on our, um, insufficiencies as people. Right. Right. And, and having people around us who trust us enough to be honest with us because Mm -hmm. that's also rare because how often has a supervisor asked for feedback and you're like, it's good. We're good. You're good. You're so perfect boss. Yeah. Because I think you have to, you can be bossy, but if you're just mean, and, and, you know, if your leadership style is so aggressive, you won't get that feedback. Right. And there's aggressive. And also I think extremely aggressive is passive aggressive. And I've had mm. a t- passive aggressive bosses who know better than to say horrible things to your face. Some, some did actually, um, <laughs> but more often it's, it's an undermining. And so just like, you know, growing up, if the adults in our spaces would like do the side eye or like, 
or, you know, you could just, yeah, something like even a shadow process across somebody's eyes or face when you're talking to them, you're like, oh, I just did something wrong. Right. And yeah. you, we internalize that thing instead of like, oh, something you're having an experience right mm-hmm. now, which is mm-hmm. where we're at now. Right. We see that and we're like, oh, I'm not going to carry that for you. You're having an experience. You can tell me about it. And I'm happy to have that conversation or you can keep having that experience. And I think yeah. there's so much power in that presence in not automatically taking on somebody else's mood or affect or, or experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, I can't remember the name of the book now, but I was reading, I'm, I've been reading this book about putting yourself in situations where you're uh, rejected over and over rejection proof. It's the the book rejection proof, you know, like where and uh, in more interesting than the experiments that the man does is the fact that he's talking about how everyone's opinion is completely different. And it's really not contingent upon you at all. It's contingent upon where they are in their life. Right. And so, you know, he talks about a basketball player here in the United States that had a big attitude and he got kicked out of the, uh, out of the NBA. And he, you know, had a terrible reputation, great numbers, bad leadership style for us here in America. He went to China where that leadership is very lacking because it's a very passive type culture with not a lot of aggressive leadership. And they made a bronze statue out of this guy. He won their citizenship award based on where those people were and how they received what he was putting out there. So I think sometimes we get it all in our head. JC Height, our uh, our leader at Height said one time, it's not what I think about me. And it's not what you think about me. I'm sure someone else said this before, but it's what I think you think about me that really holds me back. And, and what we're thinking, they're thinking is not what they're thinking, right? Right. It's our own experience of where we're standing um, that makes the impact of what people are receiving and what we're saying different for each person. And it doesn't mean that we're bad. A thousand percent. And it, and I want to say that again, I want to just reflect. And it doesn't mean that we are bad or wrong. Yeah. 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 And that I think is really difficult for a lot of us to embody. We can, we can logic it. Right. Right. Like I've heard this, but when I'm across from someone who's telling me no, or being aggressive about something, you're like, it feels very personal, doesn't it? It is for me. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not about deflecting or bypassing what's happening. It's about knowing the truth of yourself enough to be able to stand in presence and get curious mm-hmm. about the experience. So if somebody's telling you no, and you can get curious and you can ask, I'm curious, why, why, why are you saying no? Mm-hmm. Like what I'm curious about, you know, what you're, what you're seeing that I'm not you can phrase it that way, um, that, that is leading to a no. And I'm curious where the yes is here. Mm -hmm. So we can keep the conversation open if we want to, if it's worth it. And a lot of times it's worth it to get to the root. So Mm -hmm. what is your no rooted in? Well, I'm afraid that you can't, or you don't, or, you know, whatever that is. Oh, well, let's have a conversation about that. Or, you know what? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes being able to say, you know what, you're right. I've changed my mind a lot of times in my life and being willing to listen to someone else's experience and the reason behind their why uh, or their no 
is always valuable, you know, unless it's like an actual fight, aggressive situation, but you can actually learn something and maybe even change your mind. Yeah. And get on the same page or at least in the same book as that person. That's so exciting. Like, it's like, oh, so exciting to me that, that we have the opportunity to change our mind because when, when we're doing this work, you know, it's like those people aren't, those people can't, or, you know, aren't being or whatever it is, but very often it's us. So Mm -hmm. we also project constantly, we project and judge constantly. And so when we can see ourselves be in witness to ourselves doing that, you know, take the, what is it? The, the balcony view, um, then it also even further expands what we're capable of stepping into and being present with, because we can watch ourselves in the scene and go, Oh, I'm, I'm protecting myself here. Yeah. Yeah. Becoming, becoming self-aware, like you said can help us through so many relationships, whether it's our, our marriage or at work or, you know, with just friends. So talk to us a little bit about Epic Auto and, and your coaching with relationships and teams as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you the truth because you're, you're that person. Um, so my coaching and consulting really started because I got turned down for my first business loan at the end of college, excuse me. And the middle-aged banker male said, I was asking for like 40 grand. It was like basically nothing. I just wanted to get cars for my people in an office. Um, The banker guy, dude said, honey, I can't possibly loan you my bank's money, but I can take you out for drinks and talk about it later. What? And I, oh my God. was so naive. I was so naive. It like, it was like years later that I was like, that guy. I can't believe that happened. (laughs) Did you go with him at the time? No, no. at the time, all I heard was, no, your idea is dumb. It's stupid. You're never going to see you're a horrible human being. Like I heard all of the the resounding no that you hear at that age or any age. Um, And I literally was just like wandering around, like, just like in a, in shock because up to that point, I had been really blessed and privileged with, I applied for a job and I would get a job. I applied for the college. I got into college, you know, all of those things. And yeah. So, um, you got your first real no. My first real no. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that hurts. Right. It, yeah. And for something that I really wanted, like I wanted to help more people. And so, um, and I understood how, when I had the contracts to do it and all of those things. And so I'm wandering around and I drop into this, um, like, all ages place that is also a pub. And I hear this very, um, this woman, like she's so powerful, like literally holding court with these two men in suits um, at her table. And when the, the men like basically like almost bowed to her and backed away. And I was like, can I, can I meet you? Hi, can I, can I, can I you are? Hello, hi. <laughs> and who you are and what you do. <clears throat> Cause I think I want to do that too. And as it turned out, she was a, a 65, 68 year old madam, um, Dom spanking the mayor of a neighboring city and many of his dignitaries. Nice. And, and also um, people who were very high profile in entertainment, music and finance. And knowing nothing, like I mean, literally nothing, nothing, nothing. And she said, of course, I'm like, 
yeah, I'll absolutely show you. And, you know, she's like, I'm, I'm wanting more time to myself. And so why don't you be the one who, who I teach to do this? And I knew within about 15 seconds of, of being in her space, that that was that the traditional ways of, of doing that were not my way. And so because I was so naive and because she just trusted that I would intuitively understand what to do and I didn't, um, I had the opportunity to just develop my own style, which was power. So power and presence and working with these very high profile people um, and understanding very quickly that they weren't coming to be harmed. They were coming to understand how to wield power and how to mm-hmm. be okay with the power that they had. And so many of them and so many of my clients since have said, listen, I have everything the world told me that I was supposed to have. Tell me why I'm still not happy. Mm. And as I worked with these people, because there was nothing sexual about our work, it was all power dynamics and helping them and helping me along with it um, understand how to wield presence and power how to wield belonging, how to, you know, how to be more benevolent to people in our lives. They started asking me to work with their spouses um, to have, you know, this, this more healthy component, this more healthy foundation. And then they started asking me to work with their teams. And so I literally backed into consulting and working with, with couples. And um, it, it was like a huge mastermind for a couple of years um, in just making your way. And I'm, I was incredibly awkward and I had no idea what I was doing. And these people were very gracious to even, you know, give me their time, much less their money. Um, <laughs> but, but that's how I learned about wealth and power, about gender, about, you know, it was, it was an MBA basically, um, wow. in, in how to work with people and in what leadership, what happens with leadership when leadership doesn't have an outlet or a resource, or don't, they don't know where to turn to do it better. Mm, Wow. That's that's incredible. (laughs) What do you, what do you find is normally, is there one core thing that's really at the center of all of our lostness in that, in that seeking? Yeah, it's a lack of Mm self-awareness. Mm-hmm. It's the unwillingness or inability or or lack of the tools to just sit with ourselves and understand more about ourselves and what we want to change. So I think that the art of true humility is knowing what we're good at, mm-hmm. knowing what, what we're not good at and want to change and knowing what we're not good at and don't want to learn. Mm. So when we can get really honest about who we are, how we move through the world, continually learning. Please let's be learning every day, something. Um, Please let's be connecting every day and practicing that connection. Um, But until we do that, we are pigeonholed. We're stuck. The Mm -hmm. vibration is lower. The, you know, our, our intention can be great, but if we don't have the foundation and the engine to do it, we can't get there. Mm. We just can't. Yeah. Yeah. So what are, what are some of the first steps that a person can take to, to become more self-aware? Oh, great question. I think the very first thing, and this is one of the things I do from stage when I'm keynote speaking, because I don't just talk at people. I, I create an experience and I ask everybody to participate. So mm-hmm. one of the things I ask people to do is just take a longer, slower, deeper breath 
and keep doing that. And just notice what happens when we allow ourselves to soften and to, to fill up with that breath. What happens because most of us walk around using about two thirds of our lung capacity Mm -hmm. at any given time through our whole lives. Mm -hmm. So expand even the, the oxygen that we bring into our systems. We better oxygenate our brains, our blood, everything. And when we expand, we notice that we've been shallow breathing, shallow living. Yeah. Yeah. And having worked in medical for a long time, I will tell you that when people are very, very ill and in bed, they're using about a third of their lung capacity and it's yes. shallow breaths, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're only using a third more in your normal life, but you have the capacity for more, I mean, I think it's such a great representation of how we hold ourselves captive. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm a nurse. I'm a registered nurse too, before I was a marketer. So we did, I did open heart surgeries. And one of the first thing I was in the operating room, but once we got them up to the ICU and they were recovered from that, when they went to the regular floor or when the, as soon as the tube is out, basically from being in surgery, the first thing they hand someone after a big surgery is what's called an incentive spirometer. And this little funky machine is the thing you put in your mouth with the tube and everybody thinks you blow into it, but you don't. You take the deepest breath you can and you expand that capacity or else you will get a blood clot. You might not heal. You'll get an infection. There's all these terrible things that will happen to you after a major surgery that require you to breathe deeply. So I love that you said that because it requires you to your life. But listen, you know, when people say, Hey, take a deep breath, they're not lying. Like breath work has been some of the biggest things that has made the biggest difference in my life. You know, doing that breath, holding, increasing CO2 tolerance, box breathing, just taking a one breath break before I walk into a meeting or something, or my husband, my partners with us, will look at each other. Or even if we're walking into an uncomfortable situation that maybe we just don't really want to be here. It's okay. One breath break. We're going to, we're going to a little bit more (laughs) and then let it out. And you can feel so much better after that. Yes. I love that. I love that mm. medical background. Thank you so much. And it, it's core. It's core. It I forget. And I, you know, slowing things down just a little bit in order mm. to have the opportunity to have the insight and self-awareness, yeah. makes everything better and a more agile. We think that having patience or compassion or, or taking this moment um, throughout the day or part of a moment throughout the day, throughout our lives, slows things down, but it actually increases our agility by so much because we're making the right choices. We're listening and we're tuning in and we're, we're really here. We're really present. And so we're not making decisions on projections. We're making decisions on what is real and what is happening. And we're inviting other people to do the same. So we're inviting the opportunity for failure and success at at greater and greater levels when we can just get really present and slowing things down just a little bit makes life, love, sex, everything better. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And as a person, you know, so many entrepreneurs and leaders, like we vibrate at this really, really high frequency, right? Like all the time, we're just go, 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 go. And we have all these ideas and we want everyone to hear them. And, and we also want to understand other people, but you know, it's, it's a hard thing sometimes to navigate that high energy and being the leader and being in charge with slowness and stillness, but Mm. it's really 
been able to help me notice more of what's happening, not only within me, but within other people so that I know how to respond to them because not everybody's at my same energy level. Right. Right. (laughs) Hearing you say it that way brings up for me. I noticed that um, clarity, right? So it's, it's not even slowness so much as clarity. And so I think a lot of leaders prefer to think of it in terms of if I get more self-aware, I am more clear. I am, I am more vibrant. I am, you know, more more, um, accessible to people while still being able to maintain that clarity. That means my energy isn't all over the place. I'm not being spread in a thousand different places. I am still extremely clear efficient and agile while also being self-aware, connected and engaged, which makes us the leader that people want to follow. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I used to be described as high strung and, and, you know, like mouthy and all of these things. And I was at a, I was actually at a concert with a friend the other day, it, kind of a, a small town regional thing, like at the community college here. Um, and there was a woman behind us who was screaming the music. Like she was a very older lady, very, I mean, at least 80, 85, maybe. And this might've been the first time she's out of her house since COVID. I don't know, but she was having the time of her life. We could not hear what was happening. And the per- the person I was with was getting really irritated. She's like, Oh, I'm just, I can't hear anything. And when I used to be that way, I actually was able to, because of being self-aware of how I feel when I'm at a concert, how others react to things, being more present in the moment, I was actually able to stop and say, you know what? She's having the time of her life. This is, this is so amazing for her. And my friend later on was like, Amy, you're so easygoing. And I was like, looking around for another Amy, like who's easygoing. I, that's not me, but I'm noticing I'm becoming more easygoing because of the things that you said being present, being aware of my, of myself and others and, and, um, just being able to have an experience. Like you said, it's not all about me and my experience. It's about our collective experience together and how we can make each other better, um, and understand one another more. It helps us understand ourselves. Yes. that. (laughs) These are queen moments. Here you go. Yeah. For everything you said, there's the queen. (laughs) About the third time someone said, I was really expecting you to have an actual crown. I was like, okay, here we go to the Amazons. We have to get a crown. So, so whenever anyone says something queenly, we put on the crown on this show. <laughs> For those of you listening, I have a, a beautiful, actually ruby red and diamond gold crown that I put on whenever the guests say something it's very queenly. gorgeous. I'm totally jelly. I'm getting a crown and I'm wearing it all the time. <laughs> go buy it right now. Like I'm going to pin it to my head and just, it's a little heavier than I expected to even come in from Amazon. Oh my gosh. Well, Tressa, I can't believe our time is already almost coming to an end. Um, Tell us about um, how the audience can connect with you if they need, uh, if they need, I I don't want to call it therapy, but it feels like therapy for relationships, (laughs) a neuroscience based um, leadership and coaching development for yourself, your relationships, your team. Tressa's the one, man. Oh my gosh. Will you please intro me everywhere I go? That was amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so you can find me at epicoto.com. It's E-P-I-C-O-T-O and it's the epicenter. And Odo is the, the Greek, Japanese and medical term for sound. So I've always considered it to be the epicenter of how we, how we hear each other, whether or not we have the physical ability to hear. 
So mm-hmm. just how we're in connection. So it's epicodo.com. Um, soon we'll be out at then listenleader.com as the book comes out. Um, and you can reach me on, on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram under Tressie Yonakawa. Um, and yeah, just what a pleasure to be here. Would love to meet your, your listeners. And um, yeah, this has been, this has been the highlight of my year. Amy, you, you bring the queen, you bring such good, loving energy. And I, I hope everybody gets a chance to know you. Oh, wow. Thank you. That's amazing. I appreciate that. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share with this audience? Something that you just like can't get off this episode without making sure people know. Amy, you are such a brilliant conversation partner. (laughs) I'm going to hang out with you. You asked such beautiful questions and hopefully the questions um, and answers that will serve the people that you serve. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you so much. You're incredible. What a life. I feel like we could be friends outside of this in a heartbeat for sure. Yes, please. please. And thank you. Yes, please. (laughs) And thank you to Steve Sims for connecting us. Steve, you're amazing. You're probably not listening to this, but although I did say this is an episode, you know, he's like, you know, can I get on the show? And I was like, you know what? You know, it, this is for women, but you can. He said, I'll identify as a wall socket if it gets me on your show. I was like, all right, let's go. He's going to talk about women. Advocate. You wouldn't know to look at him, right? But he is a huge advocate for, for women yes. being in front of people that, that we can all help. So, yeah. 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 Love guys like that. Shout out to guys like Steve Sims and Kasim and all the other guys that we know that, that help keep women at the forefront and in this space alongside them. We really appreciate that seat at the table and we're taking it by God. It. <laughs> we're going to take it and we're going to be having court in a pub with a couple of guys like throwing down, like wearing our crowns going, listen, why aren't we in charge of everything? I ask that question all the time. Why aren't I in charge of everything? I don't exactly. Because I don't want to be. Now I know. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. <laughs> That's right. Careful what you wish for, queens. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tressa, for being my guest. And thank you for being a queen that leads. Go follow Tressa on all the channels at Tressa Yonekawa, Y-O-N-K-A-W-A. You can find T-R-E-S-S-A there and at epicauto.com. And your book coming out is called? Listen, Listen Leader. Leader. Listen Leader. Yeah, see, that's how I'm going to say it. Listen Leader. She got some stuff to say to you and you better go read the book. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Tressa. You're a delight. Thanks, Amy. The Queen's Lead podcast is recorded worldwide and produced by the kick-ass media team at the Height Digital Home Base in Nicaragua. Until our next episode... Stay real, queens, and go lead. Remember to tap that follow and leave your review. For freebies and more real, inspiring content you love, go to amysingleton.net and connect with Amy on our socials at The Real Amy Singleton. One more thing. This is the legal language, what my lawyer wrote and what I need to read to you. This podcast is presented for educational and entertainment purposes only. I am Amy Singleton, and I'm just your friend. Although I may speak to many on this show, I am not a psychotherapist, a business coach, a doctor, a CPA, a lawyer, or probably anyone who should be giving you professional advice. This podcast is not a substitute for a relationship with your doctor, coach, or any other licensed professional. Got it? Good. Now go be a queen and follow me at The Real Amy Singleton.